Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Hey friends, I'm excited to bring you a delightful and practical conversation with novelist Heather Bell Adams. Before we get to that conversation, however, I'd like to send out a quick but heartfelt thank you to the listeners who have supported our audio fundraiser. We are in the final days of raising money for the nine-episode original series, Jesus Pancake. If you are able to contribute, please don't delay and hop over to our Indiegogo campaign right now. See the links in the show notes for more information. All right, let's get to it. In this episode, you'll hear Heather Bell Adams discuss her approach to historical research when writing fiction, tips for making time to write, ways to get back into the writing groove, and more. Heather also shares two excerpts from her novel, The Good Luck Stone, published by Haywire Books in 2020. Heather Bell Adams is the author of Maranatha Road, which won the Ippy Gold Medal for the Southeast, and The Good Luck Stone, which won Best Historical in the Next Generation Book Awards. Heather is a recipient of the Rose Post Creative Nonfiction Award, Carrie McRae Literary Award, and James Still Fiction Prize. Heather's work appears in Still, The Journal, Atticus Review, The Thomas Wolfe Review, The Pettigrew Review, and elsewhere. She lives in Raleigh, where she works as a lawyer. If you'd like to get back into your writing groove with Heather Bell Adams, she will be leading that workshop at the North Carolina Writers Network 2021 Fall Conference, November 19th through 21st in Durham, North Carolina. And you guessed it, you can see the links in the show notes. All right, enjoy this episode. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm just so thrilled to be here with you. We have lots of interesting things to talk about, but I wonder if you would like to start us off by reading something of your own. I would love to. Thank you. I have picked out a brief selection from my second novel, which is called The Good Luck Stone. This is a dual timeline story set in 2010 Savannah, Georgia, and in 1941-42 in the Philippines. And I often read uh, the beginning of chapter one, which is a 2010 scene set in Savannah. I thought today for something a little different, I would read the beginning of chapter two so that our listeners get introduction to the World War II storyline. So our main character is a woman named Audrey Thorpe. And she's a nurse in the Philippines. And so I will just share this selection, which introduces us to Audrey during that time period in her life. So this is chapter, the beginning of chapter two. From the ship, the islands of the Philippines looked like stepping stones of impenetrable jungle and jagged cliffs. Barely past her 21st birthday and fresh out of nursing school, Audrey stared out at the Pacific. With no way to know what was in store, she could only worry that she'd made a mistake, the biggest of her life. Maybe she would have been better off staying home in Kentucky. They'd had layovers in Hawaii and Guam, the destination of Manila Bay ever-present in everyone's mind. Between her nerves and seasickness, she'd spent most of the trip curled on the bottom bunk, leaving her with little sense of how many days had passed. Now that land was in sight, 
the humidity clung like an unwanted blanket. She tried to steady herself with both feet planted on the deck. As the wind picked up, she picked at a hangnail until she drew blood. Her mother would have been appalled at her lack of decorum. But here, on the other side of the world, Audrey was finally free of her mother's unwavering scrutiny, her father's cigar-scented sighs of disapproval. Her younger sister had married, the wedding ceremony at St. John's, a cocktail reception at the country club, and settled down. Although Audrey didn't want to disappoint her family, she'd envisioned something different for herself. The expansive horizon stretched out in front of her seemed a good start. She was surrounded by other nurses, some as young as her, but most with a year more of experience. Names Audrey had only heard in passing and couldn't remember. Women from St. Louis, Omaha, Jackson, Richmond, all over the country. Their chatter grew louder once they drew closer to the coast, where gently sloped volcanoes, cloaked in green and ringed with clouds, appeared in the mist. The wind gathered strength until it whipped Audrey's hair from its pins. That just gives a little introduction, a little picture of our main character in the Good Luck Stone as she is arriving in Manila, where she will serve as a nurse. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was lucky enough to read The Good Luck Stone over the weekend. I enjoyed it so much, and it reads out loud really well. Is there an audiobook in the future for this? I would love that. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's so nice of you. Yes, we don't have an audio version out currently, but I would love for that to happen You know, sometime in the future. I know a lot of people are, are big fans of audiobooks, and, and that would be great to be able to reach more readers in that manner. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's really exciting. So I'm going to go out of order a little bit here because since you just read that selection, I have a question born of that. And that question has to do with research. This is a fiction novel, but obviously you had to do a lot of research in order to write it, or I suspect you did. So can you talk (laughs) a little bit about how research worked for this? How did you actually manage all of the detail? Did you use an Excel sheet? Sure. This is such a fun topic. I actually did an online seminar a few months ago on creating your stories world. And we talked a lot about research for historical projects and and that sort of thing, because I do think it's important. It's a way that you draw the reader in and you really show them the world of the story. So with this particular storyline, the World War II aspect. You know, I I wanted to do a dual timeline. I think they're really fun stories. And I'm kind of interested in, with respect to this character, Audrey Thorpe, the idea of legacy and this older woman looking back over her life, right? And thinking about the secret that she's had in the past. She is a society woman around Savannah and everybody thinks they know her. But they don't know the real Audrey Thorpe because they don't know this momentous decision that she made during World War II. That's kind of how the Good Luck Stone started for me is with this character. And so when I had the World War II storyline, I very much wanted to do that story set in the Pacific because I feel like we have so many wonderful World War II stories that are set in the European theater. And I just feel it's time to have some in the Pacific. And of course, there are some, but I think maybe that will be the next wave of World War II fiction. Who knows? I started kind of broadly with my research. And what I mean by that is I read a lot of books about 
what was happening in the Pacific. So even when I had said, okay, I want to do the Pacific as opposed to Europe, I didn't really know what year, what country, what was going on. Definitely no expert in (laughs) military history or geography or anything like that. So I started off broadly and I read about Japan and Tahiti and the Philippines and just all the different military maneuvers, what nurses would have been doing in these different countries and different points along the World War II timeline. When I say, you know, I read several books, I mean, I don't know, it may have been 10, 12, you know, it was a fair number just to get a good background. I wasn't really even taking notes at that point, I don't think. I was just trying to get a sense for what was going on. And I was looking for something that really sparked my imagination, right? What's a time, what's a place where I want to happily spend the next few years in my imagination writing the story? So I read about a group of nurses serving in the Philippines, many of whom were taken prisoner by the Japanese And right before they were taken prisoner, a smaller group of nurses escaped from the Philippines, the island of Corregidor specifically, some by plane and some by submarine. I was really struck by that scene because I imagined this group of friends, professional nurses who had served together in their professional capacity, but who had also become very, very close friends and bonded over the hardships of war and imagine one of them being left behind and taken prisoner, and imagine the other two escaping, one by plane, one the next day or a couple days later by submarine. And just what that would feel like, what it would feel like for those nurses who made it out, and what it would feel like for the one who was left behind. And so that, you know, it's not really a spoiler to say that that appears in the story of The Good Luck Stone. And reading about that moment in history, and and honestly, I'll share that I had no idea nurses were taken prisoner of war. You know, I always thought of that as something that happened to soldiers, and certainly it's a hardship for them and, and a tragic thing that occurs during times of war. But I really didn't know there was this group of nurses and and they were a prisoner of war for several years. It was a a huge ordeal for them. So that was my jumping off point for the World War II storyline. And so once I had that, then I could be a bit more targeted in my research. I had my years, 1941-42, and I had my place, the Philippines. So then I began to read more specifically about nursing in World War II, more specifically about the Philippines, and more specifically about this time period. And at that point, once I was more targeted with it, then I really started the process of taking notes and trying to keep track of what I needed to know for the story. I did that in a number of different ways. I didn't have, you ask about a spreadsheet. I didn't have a spreadsheet per se, but what I did, I had Word document of notes. I had spiral notebooks full of notes. And then I also, I'm a big fan of those colored flags, you know, the sticky ones that you can write on. (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. love those. And so I had different color codes for, I don't remember now, but let's just say there was a, you know, green flags for nursing details and blue flags for geography details and, you know, things like that. And so I had all these flags in the books, in the notebooks, and kept track of the different research topics that way. 
And then as I drafted, you know, you don't want to get stuck in the drafting process because of research that you need to do. So I, the way I approach that, I try to do enough research that I feel capable of getting started. And so then I get started and I'm drafting and I inevitably reach a point where I need to go look something up, right? What I try to do in that situation is bracket it with a TK, you know, come back to this later so that I don't interrupt the flow. If it's something pretty big where I have to confirm, you know, wait a minute, was this unit in Manila at this time or were they in Bataan? You know, then I might need to just press pause and go confirm that research detail so that I don't waste a lot of time drafting a scene in the jungle versus the capital city or something like that. But otherwise, if you know, if it's a little detail, if it's you know, did they call it a canteen, the thing that they drank water out of? Or how did they administer shots during this time period? Or, you know, some detail like that, that I I definitely wanted to get correct, but I didn't want it to interrupt the flow of my writing. Those things I would just bracket and come back to later. That's kind of my research process in a nutshell. I'm not saying it's the right way to go, but (laughs) it's it's how I was able to to get that storyline down. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you didn't let the research impede your writing. Obviously, you needed to do it and it was an important tool, but you were still able to move move the draft forward without feeling like you had to know every single answer to every single thing before you started writing. Yes, I think that's a hard balance to come by where you feel like you know enough that you can get started because there's that lack of confidence, I think, when you're writing a story about a time period you've never lived yourself. And so that's what that initial general research does, I think, is give you a little bit of confidence that, you know, okay, I know broad strokes, and I can at least get going. And as we know, (laughs) with a lot of creative endeavors, just that ability to get started with it is is huge. Exactly. So The Good Luck Stone is your second novel. And I'm guessing that you're probably starting on your third one. And I'm curious about your approach over time. Can you talk a little bit about how your writing has evolved as you work through these different novels? Because I guess a, an additional question to this is, how many years are you devoting to each of these? It's multiple years, right? Yes, good question. Well, I would say my first novel was called Maranatha Road. And that one took me about a year to write. Maranatha Road, I didn't really have to do much research on that one because it was set roughly in present day in the 90s. And it's set in Western North Carolina, which is where I'm from. And I lived there in the 90s. And, you know, the people in Maranatha are not based on anybody I knew growing up, but certainly the types of situations, the types of people I was familiar with from growing up. And so I didn't really have to do much research for that one. So obviously with Good Luck Stone, I had to do research and that took longer. I would say the Good Luck Stone probably took between a year and a half, two years to write. My agent and I had several revise and resubmit requests from publishers. And so each time we had one of those requests, actually, it's kind of funny, we were talking about the research question, because most of our requests from publishers were to add more World War II sections. And so every time we had one of those requests, I had to go back and do a little bit more research because, you know, they were wanting me to expand the World War II sections, which I was happy to do, of course. But yeah, I would say that meant that the process took probably a little bit closer to two years for that one. 
my new novel. So I think like a lot of creative people during quarantine and COVID anxiety and all of that, it's not that I stopped work. I was very busy with creative projects, but I had a hard time settling on one. I found that my mind was sort of hopping from one idea to the next, and I found myself becoming dissatisfied with an idea that last week I thought, oh, this is my new novel, right? And uh, then I would decide, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I really want to stick with that. And so <laughs> in talking with other writing friends and other creative friends, that seems to have been somewhat common. I don't know. It's just such a, it's just been such an unsettled time that anyway, I found my mind sort of, I guess I would call it jumpy in that way and just hard to settle. So I started and stopped many different novels <laughs> for the past year or year and a half. And my friends would say, oh, how's the, you know, Beatrix Potter novel going? And I would laugh and say, oh, goodness, I abandoned that one. You know, <laughs> I thought that was going to be it. And I've abandoned it. I share that both, you know, in an attempt to be just totally transparent and honest with our listeners. I think a lot of us have been experiencing that sort of mindset. I do have now, I think, knock on wood, a topic that I'm really happy with. I'm hopefully going to stick to it. It's another historical novel. This one actually is a straight historical, so I, I don't have the dual timeline to contend with. But I'm looking forward to that. I'm having fun with it, which I think is key, at least for me. Having fun with it is important. And you mentioned about evolving, and I, I have the best time taking classes and attending seminars and always trying to learn and always trying to improve my writing. So I love that word evolve. You know, I think we're as creatives always trying to evolve our craft. And I think it's important to do that so that we're not stuck. Absolutely. I am so impressed that you were able to write a novel in one to two years. That seems like a pretty good clip, especially because you have an additional career and you have, you know, friends and family obligations. I'm curious about how you make time and space in your life to write. Well, it can definitely be a challenge. I am a lawyer. And so my day job is pretty time consuming and can be pretty stressful at times, depending on what's going on. So I always look to writing as creative outlet, as a way to reconnect to my inner self, you know, find peace in the busy world, that sort of thing. I draft stories in little pockets of time. I talked about my notebooks. I carry around a little notebook, you know, all the time and am writing down ideas for scenes or lines that I like or aspects of my characters. I get a lot of thinking about stories done when I'm walking my little dog and um, yeah, just different moments throughout the day, you know, commuting to work, waiting for takeout, all those little moments that we have in our days. I will say that it's a little more difficult when I have a big revision project, particularly for a novel length work, because I feel like revision, especially when you are taking things apart and putting them back together again, I feel like that takes more time, takes larger chunks of time, right? You can't right. really do something like that in 15 minutes because just as you've figured out where you are in the document, then, you know, your time's up. <laughs> so for big revision projects, I do have to reserve those for nights and weekends. But for drafting, I do 
try anyway to remind myself that if I'm waiting in line somewhere, I don't have to be scrolling mindlessly through my phone. I can be making some progress on my project. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like sometimes that that mindless scrolling actually inhibits my ability to write because then I'm taking, I'm sort of absorbing all of the things of the world that I feel weighed down by. And so it doesn't make sense to use my time impeding my writing. I should just use my time to write and sort of accumulate all of those little ingredients. Yeah, that's wonderful. that's so true. I feel the same way. Heather, you are leading a workshop at the North Carolina Writers Network's Fall Conference in November. The title of your workshop is Getting Back into the Writing Groove. I love this idea. Can you tell us a little bit about that workshop and what inspired you to create it? Yes. Thank you for asking. I'm so excited and looking forward to this workshop. This will be my second time leading a workshop at the North Carolina Writers Network Conference. And the one I did a few years ago was about the essentials of scene crafting. And it was very practical and grounded and almost you know, different tips for making sure your scene has what it needs. And and I had a great time with that and got great feedback. But I mentioned that only because it's so different than my topic this time. And the Writers Network leaves it up generally to faculty to determine what they want to lead a workshop on. And I, I warned Ed Southern, the director, when I sent back this course description, I said, this is a little bit woo-woo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's not that really practical checklist topic, but I think it's important, especially for this time period, just as we were speaking earlier about the effects of quarantine and COVID and lockdown and everything else on our creative minds. I think this is a time that we are all looking for a way to get back into the groove and to get our spark back. And I'm really inspired to help people do that the best that I can. I'm really looking forward to that. I crafted this session with that in mind. You know, I almost want it to be like therapy. I want it to be like a group of really close friends sitting down. And by the time we emerge from this session, I want everyone in there to feel reinvigorated. And I want them to have rediscovered that spark. Because I think a lot of us, we can think back to a time in our creative endeavors and our writing when we were excited about it. And we've lost, some of us have have lost that a little bit during the past year and a half, two years, with good reason. But I think there are ways to recapture that. And I'm excited to explore those ways. You talked a little bit about having a jumpy mind and finding something that interested you and then losing interest in it over the past year. And so I would, I guess I would say that that's kind of getting knocked off your groove as a writer. And I'm curious about how you found your way back into that groove. Yes. Great question. Yeah. I think there are a lot of things that can knock us off our groove, whether it's life demands, anxiety, self-doubt, and I have been experimenting with different ways to get back into that groove. And I think it varies person to person, of course. Personally, there are two things I find helpful. One is returning to reading. I'm always a reader. Really, I'm a reader first before I'm a writer. So I'm always reading. But reading in a way that is inspiring is perhaps different than just reading to be entertained. 
And what I mean by that is not necessarily that you need to be, as a writer, reading something you want to write. It doesn't need to match up to your genre or, or something like that. But I think a way to recover your spark, re- rediscover you know, what excites you about writing can sometimes be found in reading. And it's a little bit of trial and error. As you're reading something, does it make you excited to go pick up your pen and write something yourself? Right. I don't think everything we read needs to do that. Again, I think it's completely fine to read something solely for the purpose of being entertained. But when I am trying to get back in the writing groove, one thing that I do is I will pick up and quickly discard if it doesn't work for me and and pick up something else because I'm trying to find that book that makes me excited to go write myself. And it's an intangible quality and it's different from writer to writer, but we know it when we find it. You know, (laughs) when we read a scene and we're just so struck with it that it makes us want to try some technique ourselves, or even simply want to write down some notes about what we just read, you know, how the how the author described the fall landscape or something like that. And so that's the type of reading that I'm talking about. The other thing I found helpful is journaling. And that's something you hear about a lot. And I always hear about it on, you know, podcasts and blog posts, etc, about how helpful journaling is. But it's something I sometimes need to remind myself about. Because whenever I get back into journaling, I realize, oh, yeah, this is really helpful. Why wasn't (laughs) I doing this all along? (laughs) But I think when we're busy or we're anxious or we're in that sort of jumpy mind, it's hard to settle down with something like journaling, if that makes sense. Right, right. Do you use the journal to just pour off all of the the stuff floating on the top of your mind so that you can go deeper? Or do you use the journal to write down ideas for your creative work? I would say yes, all of the above. (laughs) I use it to talk to myself on the page, as silly as that sounds. I will ask myself questions and answer them in my journal. I will write down what I'm worried about. I will write down what my obstacles are, what problems I'm encountering. Even if it's something like, I know people disagree about the term writer's block and Mm -hmm. some people like that term and some people don't, but let's just go with it. If I'm experiencing writer's block, I will write down, you know, okay, I don't know what to write next. And then I will pose these what if questions or... I will even make a list of topics or subjects that I know I don't want to write about. And it's almost like getting those out of the way or, okay, if I know I don't want to write about those characters or topics or time periods, then that almost opens the door sometimes to, okay, (laughs) then what are we going to fill this space with? What might you want to write about? And it's just a really no pressure way. It's almost like, you know, in your journal, it doesn't count. I mean, I, Right. Writing never does unless we want it to, right? There's certainly nobody looking over our shoulder as we're having a brainstorming session, or at least normally there there wouldn't be. It's a solitary endeavor. But yeah, I think it's just a low pressure way to experiment, to see what might feel good in, in terms of writing. Yes. I find that sometimes I have such a resistance to writing 
and that journaling can just, it's sort of like loosening up the joints or stretching or, I mean, there's a, there are a million metaphors like greasing the wheels or unclogging things. And it's just a way to kind of ease back in. It's sort of like after, an, for me, it's like after an injury, I'm not going to start running down the street. I'm going to start stretching and walking until it feels good and I'm kind of in motion. And sometimes, for me at least, a journal can be the tool to get me in motion again creatively. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. In the workshop description for getting back into the groove, I was struck by the phrase, quote, let's reconnect to your authentic writer self. And I'd really love to hear your thoughts about this idea of the authentic writer self and what that means to you. I think of the authentic writer self as who we are as writers when no one else is looking. Mm. And, you know, I mentioned that earlier in our conversation about somebody looking over our shoulder as we write. When we put aside what we think the trends are in publishing right now or what our agent wants to see next or what our writing partner expects us to write next, when we are able to put all of that aside and really dig deep and identify what we want to be writing, not Mm -hmm. what we're expected to write, not what we think is going to be successful in the industry or something like that. That to me is our authentic writer self. And I think we get knocked away from that. We lose sight of that sometimes when the world outside is especially noisy, when we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we're rushed. And so part of it is an intentional slowing down. It's an intentional tuning out of that noise. I am 100% on board with this idea of reconnecting to your authentic writer self. Why do you think it's important for writers to do that? Well, I think authenticity in any creative endeavor is something to strive for. And I think that's when we're doing our best work. We are all unique individuals, certainly. And so it makes sense that when we're pursuing creative endeavors, whether it's writing or art or something else, something that increases the the quality of our output is when it comes from a place of authenticity within us rather than external expectations. Absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't covered you'd like to talk about? And could you tell us what is next for you? Sure. I have a couple of events coming up promoting, helping to promote friends books. I'm excited about that. I have a personal essay coming out this fall in Still the Journal. And as a fiction writer, it's pretty intimidating for me to <laughs> to write and to seek publication of a personal essay. So I'm grateful for them for taking it. And I'm excited to have that out there and just to share my writing in a different medium. Certainly, I'm very excited about this North Carolina Writers Network session that I'll be leading. And, you know, certainly listeners are invited to to sign up for any of the the fall network, the, uh, excuse me, Writers Network uh, conference options. There are lots of good sessions out there for any writers at any stage of their writing. So we're looking forward to that. Would you like to close by reading something? I would love to. I mentioned earlier that I 
was going to share from the World War II storyline of the Good Luck Stone, but I also have flagged the beginning of the story, which is 2010 Savannah, Georgia. And so I'll read this brief introduction to the book to Audrey Thorpe in the Savannah 2010 timeline. So this is from chapter one of the Good Luck Stone. Wearing the brooch was a risk, but surely no one would recognize it. Audrey Thorpe lingered by the wall in the lobby of Savannah's Jepson Center for the Arts. Waiters circulated with trays of champagne and bite-sized crab cakes, while the museum's donors mingled and congratulated themselves on another fine exhibition. Audrey leaned against a linen-skirted table for support and returned a friend's wave across the crowd. At her age, the room's pale stone floor was almost as treacherous as an ice rink. She'd gone her entire life, 90 years, without a broken bone. Now her sense of balance worsened with each passing day. At home, she resorted to using a cane when she felt unsteady, but she didn't like to be seen with it on social occasions. The last of the evening sun filtered in through the glass facade overlooking Telfair Square. Trying to quell her impatience, she touched the brooch pinned to her dress. The cloudy green stone, flawless jade, still as smooth as when she'd first held it long ago, had been carved to resemble a hibiscus bloom. A tiny seed pearl glimmered from its center. So that's just the very beginning of the Good Luck Stone. And I appreciate the opportunity to introduce our listeners to Audrey Thorpe, the main character. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I very much enjoyed reading The Good Luck Stone, and I can't wait for everybody else to enjoy it as well. It has been wonderful talking with you today, and thank you for sharing not only your work, but excellent wisdom for writers. Thank you so much, Heather. Well, thank you for having me. I've had the best time talking with you. I feel like we could have chatted all day about these topics. It's so much fun to talk about writing and reading, and I just, I've really appreciated the opportunity. One more thing before we go. As of this recording, we are only 9% funded for the Jesus Pancake audio series. If you would like to help us make wonderful audio delights for your ears, please see the link in the show notes to the Indiegogo campaign. Thanks so much.